and uh, we'll talk about where we're going. We're somewhere in the middle, or I'm going to say in the last third of a series that I've called Mega Church. The title of the series is Mega Church, not because we are a mega church, uh, but because the church is a big idea. You agree with that? Yes, How many of you learned anything about the church that maybe you hadn't really thought of before in these last few weeks? I mean, I have learned some things that have been reminded of some things and been kind of focused, uh, refocused on some things, just getting ready for this and, and, and sharing this with you and talking with you uh, outside of this setting. We've said that the church didn't launch as an institution. The church certainly didn't launch as a building. The church launched as a movement, a movement of people who flooded the streets of Jerusalem to say, a couple of months ago, if you'll remember, uh, you crucified a man. Uh, his name was Jesus. He rose from the dead. He was crucified right outside those walls over there. And this wasn't like 150 years ago. It wasn't 500 years ago. It was like two months ago. And he rose from the dead, and we are eyewitnesses. And thousands of Jewish people in Jerusalem embraced this simple idea that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that God had raised him from the dead. And suddenly Jerusalem is filled with people from all these surrounding communities saying, God has done something unique among us. God has done something unusual right here among us. And then word began to spread. And as we talked about the first recorded prayer of the first century church, you remember that? It was way back early in this series. In Acts chapter 4, a prayer for boldness. And I thought that boldness was, might have been the last thing they really needed. It seemed to get them in trouble. And they prayed this. They prayed, enable me to speak your word with boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. We said that sometimes when it comes to boldness, sometimes we need to take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. Sometimes we've got to take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. And sometimes we need to create the opportunities. Then in another morning, we talked about the church's tendency to drift, to drift towards insiders and away from outsiders, to drift towards law and away from grace, to drift towards preserving rather than advancing. And then a couple weeks ago, we asked this question. We said, does the church matter? Does the church really matter? Does it even matter? And we concluded that it does matter. And the message of the church matters because we've been given the stewardship of the message of eternal life and a better life now. Amen. So that's where we've been. Let me tell you where we're going this morning. Sometime early in 2014, I began asking some questions of myself about my future, about our family's future, about our church's future. And uh, I just turned, at just beginning of 2014, I just turned 45. That really didn't do anything for me? I think it was when my son turned 21 that I started to put it all together. So I started to ask some questions of myself. And as I contemplated what life might look like at some point down the road, I kind of got fixated on five years. What will family life look like in five years? You ought to think about that. Then I asked, what will my role at Faith Community look like in five years? What will be true of us as a church in five years? And then I started to consider, what will the greater church in our community look like in five years? And it struck me <coughs> that of the, the seven or eight uh, churches in Ellsworth, where I have a, a pretty decent, in some cases even healthy relationship uh, with the senior pastors, of those, say, eight churches, at least six of them are led by pastors in their 60s, who've been in their churches now for anywhere from 17 years to over 30 years or 35 years. 
And I began to wonder if they thought at all about what's next for them and for their churches. How long do they plan to stay in their senior role? What is their secession plan? How, what kind of transitions do they anticipate? And we've had some, some really good conversations about that. But what kind of significant changes could we experience in the church community in Ellsworth in this next five-year window? And I understand I don't have a lot of influence about to affect change in other churches or, you know, or whatever, but a few months ago... I felt a pretty clear prompting that I, that I should begin to be more intentional about pursuing relationships with other pastors in town and ask lots of questions and listen as much as I can because I really want to get a sense of what they're thinking about the future. And, and Dad and I and some of you, we started talking a lot about this church in five years, this church in 2020. <clears throat> you know, when we started this church in 1997, I was the young guy in town. I was the youngest guy on any church staff in the area. I was 28. Today, 17 years later, I know of two guys on church staffs in Ellsworth who are younger than me. And I don't think that's a good sign. I don't want to be the young guy. At 46 years old, I don't want to be the young guy. I don't think that speaks well for the future of the church. So anyway, we started talking strategic planning. Dad and I have both been involved in different levels of strategic plan developments in our work and in our involvement outside the church and the community. And uh, we were beginning to feel pretty strongly that the church, this church needed something like a strategic plan. How many of you have ever been a part of a strategic plan process in a business or an organization or anything at all? Let me see. So I just don't want you to, we're not using that term. Okay, that's just a point of reference. I want you to freak out because I know how, how cumbersome that process can be and how restrictive a, plan, a strategic plan can be in some environments. But that was kind of our frame of reference. Right in the middle of all these thought processes for me back in the summer, we were getting ready for a milestone celebration uh, back in uh, July, where, where we celebrated, our family celebrated 25 years of ministry in Ellsworth. Dad celebrated 40 years in pastoral ministry. I celebrated 25 years in full-time ministry. And we invited our friend, Pastor Laurel Buckingham, uh, to come be a part of the celebration with us. Some of you remember uh, Pastor B being here for Milestone Sunday in July. Uh, that was a highlight of this year, too, I'll tell you what. There's a sense with, with Pastor Buckingham that we in our family uh, tend to look back a lot, you know, uh, because he's been a part of our lives for so long. He's been a mentor and an advisor to Dad for most of his ministry. And even the fact that Pastor B is now retired from pastoral ministry, you would think that in celebrating milestones, we would maybe tend to focus more on the past. But that's not what happened at all that weekend in July. Because we, we know that milestones are just markers along the way. It's not somewhere to stay. It's not the destination. On occasion, we want to stop long enough to recognize and celebrate God's faithfulness because that's a biblical concept. But we spent most of that weekend with Pastor B talking about the future. And we were so excited to listen to him. To have you noticed that his enthusiasm is a little bit contagious? And so we were so excited to sit and listen to him talk about the new chapter that he's in after, what, 44 years of pastoral ministry, uh, to be retired from that and to jump right into a new initiative founding the Buckingham Leadership Institute at Kingswood University in New Brunswick and his work with pastors and his vision for moving the church forward in this part of the world. And I remember it now several months ago, maybe last spring, sitting at the grind, drinking coffee with one of my respected advisors, and we were talking about the, the future and about organizational challenges, and we are talking about growth potential, and I asked him what he thought about the idea of bringing in someone from the outside to help an organization move forward. In his experience, what were the pros and cons of working with consultants, for instance? Did he think that, that, was a benefit for that there was a benefit for that kind of interaction in the church setting? 
And without hesitation, he said, oh, absolutely. If nothing else, a set of outside eyes on your familiar surroundings helps identify your blind spots. And I just tucked that little nugget away. Up to that point, I had friend, I have friends in church leadership who have worked with consultants, and it all sounded great most of the time. But I wasn't completely sure, I uh, wasn't sold on the idea for, for us. Well, during our weekend with Pastor Buckingham in July, I asked the same question, got the same answer from him. And then he shared with us that the, the work he's doing right now as part of his leadership institute in consulting with churches. And we had no idea that he was doing that when, we were, when he asked the question. So after part of one conversation, Dad and I were convinced that a weekend of consultation with Pastor Buckingham was the right fit for us. He knew us. We have a long history. Uh, we, we trust him. We know his vision. But he doesn't know the particulars of our situation. He doesn't know this church intimately. He doesn't know all of you. He doesn't know the ins and outs. So we trust him. He's proven. We just decided let's do it. So we booked him to come spend a weekend of consulting with us, and we set the date for November. In most cases, church consultants, how many of you are just hearing that term for the first time? You know, who knew churches have consultants? Church consultants, there's big money in that. So I'm thinking about next chapter of my life. No, not really. <laughs> Given all my successes in the books, my best-selling books and stuff. Um, in, most ch- in most cases, church consultants are brought in when something is wrong, when something is broken in a church. Um, in our, or sometimes it's a kind of a backdoor way to push some people out. In our case, we just want to build on the healthy position that our church is in. During our consulting weekend back in November, we gathered a focus group of 21 people and didn't include any elders or wives because we kind of get bored with that. We hear from them, not really. But we wanted to give other people an opportunity. So a group of 21 individuals spent a couple hours with them on a Friday night, and Pastor Buckingham facilitated that discussion, and we got some had some great conversation, uh, took a pile of notes, and we got a lot of ideas moving forward. The next morning, we met with our elders and their wives uh, for a couple hours, and throughout, the, throughout Friday and Saturday, just wherever we could find a slot, Pastor B sat down and basically interviewed each of our elders and spent 45 minutes to an hour with each couple. And then there were several hours of conversation, if you can imagine, between Pastor Bob, Pastor B, and myself, between scheduled meetings. And then as a bonus, on Saturday afternoon, we gathered several area pastors together for a 90-minute session uh, with Pastor B. And that, I believe, was the beginning of something positive that we're going to move forward with. Really, that wasn't the focus of our weekend, but I thought, we've got this guy here. We've just got to get some pastors together to be encouraged. By late Saturday afternoon of that weekend, it was time to put together a plan. So we sat down, and uh, the three of us, and hammered this out this plan to identify strengths and weaknesses, to address areas of concern, and to uh, identify focus areas uh, for moving forward for future growth. We came out of the weekend with an outline of a plan, and it was our responsibility to kind of flesh out the plan and come up with something workable and measurable, and then to set target dates for implementation. So we've worked on this for several weeks. We didn't, that was November, then we're on top of Thanksgiving. December, you know, is just, it's it's crazy. So we've really tackled this from the 1st of January till now. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, we sat down and met with the elders to discuss this plan and our proposed timelines. And in 90 minutes, we got halfway through it. So some of the stuff they're going to hear today, they haven't heard yet, but we're gonna, we haven't put any meat on the bones there. So today, we want to share all this with you. It's 1030 already. If you have lunch plans, you might want to make a quick phone call. I'm going to try my hardest to get through this, but I, we just can't blitz through it. So this is kind of like family meeting, all right? You ever have a family meeting in your house? 
uh, when things are good. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a family meeting when things are good, okay? Uh, oh, by the way, I've got to share this with you because I didn't share it with you, and I really I should have, and just I don't think I ever did. After his weekend with us in July, Pastor B sent us an email. We had some great communication. And this is what he wrote. I lifted this right out of his email. He said, this is before we uh, had, this is not November, this is, this is July, his first impressions. He says, by the way, based on my own values, you've developed a cultural foundation on which great things can be built. I do not think that anything in that regard needs to be changed. The next step is how can we see great potential maximized? I believe great things are going to happen. I look forward to working with people who have the necessary capabilities for effective leadership and ministry. That was a really, really encouraging message to get from him. So we've certainly been encouraged by Pastor Buckingham's ministry with us in July and November. We've been challenged, for sure. Uh, we've gotten some clarity. We, we believe we're already moving in the right direction, and we're ready to ramp this thing up. So for now, for now, the working name that we're giving this plan is the next initiative. The next initiative. The X. Uh, you know, I'm a, I like branding. I like graphics. I like nicely packaged things. Today, you're getting bare bones. None of that, okay? Because we're just simply not there yet. I'm not trying to sell you on something. We're just kind of presenting it. The X, we've capitalized for two reasons. That's a really weird noise I'm hearing. No, it's not. It's uh, something electrical up here. But that's okay. We had the whole thing torn apart. If we can just get through this thing and have microphones and instruments that we need and nothing blows up, we're happy. Um, yeah. The X, the X in, ne- in next is capitalized for two reasons. First of all, uh, it represents the unknown. X, it's, I know it's been a long time since maybe you've done algebra, but X represents the unknown. And uh, we don't know what's next. We know we can't control or predict the future by virtue, by virtue of six or seven uh, steps written on some pieces of paper, but we want to be open to whatever and wherever God leads us on this path. So it's kind of unknown, and we acknowledge that. The other reason the X is capitalized is, is this. It represents the unknown, what could be, and because X is the Greek letter chi, which is short for the Greek, it, it is a representative of the Greek word Christos, which means Christ or anointed one. We want to keep Christ at the center of everything that we do in all of our planning. We want him to be prominent and preeminent and central. So that's why we've capitalized that X there. So this morning, we simply want to share a little bit, and man, it's going to be nitty-gritty nuts and bolts, but hopefully you get big picture today. A little bit of what came out of our consultation weekend with Pastor Buckingham back in November, kind of a flyover of our version of a strategic plan, what we're calling the next initiative. And so here we go. Uh, Let's pray before we jump into this, okay? Heavenly Father, we're just thankful that you choose to use us in your kingdom. Thank you for the privilege that it is to live for you and to serve you and to be in relationship with you, for the privilege that it is to lead an ecclesia, this gathering, this congregation, uh, for the responsibility that each of us has in the life of our church family. Uh, We are humbled and honored by that, that you trust us with that. We take this very seriously because we really do believe the church is a really big deal. We believe that when the church is functioning the way you intended it to function, it really is the hope of the world because we carry with us the message of eternal life. So God, I pray that you give us clarity as we move forward, as we look into the future. Give us clarity, give us energy, give us enthusiasm, and give us sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, first of all, this didn't really come out of the consultation weekend in November. It just came out of some follow-up conversations. We've decided to tweak the wording on our mission statement. We, our mission statement's always been kind of at the forefront, and we throw it out there every chance we get. Uh, for years, since day one at Faith Community Fellowship, we've said that our mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Then a few years ago, we added a couple of phrases. We added, for the good of our community and the sake of the world. But recently, some of us have been discussing this idea of fully devoted follower. And we've, in our conversations, we've tried to define what a fully devoted follower looks like. What is the criteria? Is that even an attainable goal? And we got looking at some New Testament passages, especially where Paul's writing, who wrote half the New Testament and founded like 20 churches, when he refuses to even consider himself to have arrived, what does a fully devoted follower of Christ look like? What are the characteristics? How do you know if you're there? So here's what we've decided to do. We're going to change the wording in our mission statement, and we've kind of already started to do this just under the radar, just ever so slightly. And I don't know if you've ever been part of the process of forming a mission statement for a team or a business or a nonprofit, but, man, it's tough. It is a really challenging process because we think it ought to be singular in its focus, just a one-point statement. Uh, a seven-point mission statement is not really helpful. So we think it ought to be at one point. Here's what we're going to do. So... Here's our revised mission statement for the foreseeable future. This is not, this can change. This is not a sacred cow. We will, we will slaughter this sacred cow any day. It's not a big deal. We'll tweak it. It's not an untouchable. Here's what we're going to say. We're going to say that our mission is to lead people. Here's the, cha- the change into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ for the good of our community and the sake of the world. We like it because it's simple. It's easy to memorize. It's one main point to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, you can know if you're in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You can know if someone else is in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And others know if you're in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And then why are we doing this? For the good of our community. That's local. That's why I engage in the life of our community and the sake of the world. That's the global worldview. The church is a big deal. It's worldwide. It's so much bigger than we can even comprehend. So this is, our, and this is our global responsibility, to be involved, engaged, even in global causes. So would you just read this with me, our mission statement? Here we go. If you're comfortable with this, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not comfortable, or this isn't your mission, or you can't really buy in, that's fine. Just process a little bit. Everybody else, let's read. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ for the good of our community and the sake of the world. Nice job. Here's the thing about mission statements in churches. Nothing's original because we're all on the same mission. So, so if you're like, oh, I found, hey, that's somebody else's mission statement. Well, our mission statement really comes from Matthew 28. But we're going to talk about that in a minute. Here's what Pastor Buckingham identified as our top strengths as a church. These are his words uh, or the words maybe uh, that he heard uh, in, meet- in his meetings and conversations with the elders and their wives. Okay? These are not, Dad and I did not write these. He wrote these. And uh, so I'm just going to kind of go through these. Strengths as a church. Grounded pastoral leadership team. Biblical, practical teaching that he said is relevant to where the listener is in their life journey and authenticity of the speaker. That's cool. Significant, next one is significant family-type relational connections. This is not stuff that he came up with. This is stuff that he discovered in his conversations. Next one is total acceptance of all people of all ages and socioeconomic status. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. 
Next, positive energetic children's ministry. That's a big deal. Ease and comfort in inviting others to the Sunday experience. That's nice. We're going to keep working on that, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And then the last one is engaging meaningful Sunday worship experience. Um, to all of that, I want to say thank you for supporting the vision of faith community. Thank you for getting in the game. Thank you for buying in. Thank you for all that you do to make these things true of us. And let's not ever take these for granted, and let's protect them with everything that we have. Amen? And let's give God glory for that. Well, it was 40 minutes of introduction. Let me get into the nitty-gritty of the next initiative. We've identified 70, 70, no, 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 chill. That was a typo. Seven areas, point sixty-two. wow. We've identified seven areas of focus where we're going to zero in and make some improvements and take these things to the next level because we believe these are critical for sustained growth in our church. And we've, we've set some timelines in our, each area so you can measure progress. That was kind of the assignment we were given back in November. When Pastor B left, he's like, here's your deal. Put some meat on the bones, set some dates, come back to me. So we'll be reporting in to him this week. Uh, no fancy graphics, no handout today. Uh, this is not neatly packaged. Uh, this is very raw. It's kind of a first look. Feel free to take notes, and we will be providing lots of material in this moving forward. And actually, what we're going to do, Dad and I sat down this week to discuss how we're going to do this, and we decided I would carry the, the bulk of this, and at the end of each point, I'm just going to give him an opportunity to kind of weigh in. He's over there wearing his microphone, okay? Okay. Number one, focus area number one is involvement. Involvement. We are already doing an assessment of the number of people needed for current ministries. We currently fill about 30 slots just to make what we do here on Sunday mornings happen. 30 volunteer slots. We're working with all of our ministry team leaders. We started some of these conversations to determine what kind of rotation would be optimal. Because here's the deal. When you volunteer for kids' ministry, the idea is that you're not in there every week. And some of you don't volunteer because you don't want to commit to something every week. We want, we have, in every team, we want rotations. Um, so we're talking about what's optimal. And ideally, you know, how many people should fill out each team. Um, then we're identifying people who attend our church on a regular basis but aren't currently involved. We know who you are. And sometimes we know why. Some, we understand that sometimes there's just life circumstances that you can't commit to whatever. And we get that. Sometimes, though, we're going to ask you to serve. So don't be surprised if one of the pastors or one of the ministry team leaders comes to you and says, have you ever considered serving in such and such a team? Uh, we might even have a particular team in mind. One of the things we know we need to do better in the involvement area is affirming our volunteers. Some of our team leaders are great at this, and I'm so glad they are because some of us, mostly me, are not good at this. Uh, so we want to get real intentional about affirmation. We need to celebrate our volunteers in ways that are meaningful to them and to you. Uh, so we are going to talk about that as teams. We're going to plan it. We're going to budget for it, and we're going to do it. So we're going to really work on the affirmation thing. And then we have already identified a church-wide volunteer coordinator. And we need to free her up from at least one other area of responsibility. Then we need to resource her, give her the tools she needs to coordinate, recruit, equip, cast vision to all of our volunteers. So that's kind of what we're doing in involvement. We identify, we've, based on some attendance studies we've done and the numbers of people serving, over 60% of the people who attend our church on a regular basis 
uh, are involved in ministry, are involved in, I should, let me clarify that, are involved in serving on a structured ministry team in the church, okay? Um, and I know a lot of you are involved in, uh, in ministry just in your life day to day. Um, so our goal is to accomplish all these steps under involvement uh, by the end of this summer, 2015. It's really, it's very doable. So that's our goal in that. You have anything to add to that, Deb? On involvement? Yeah. I just simply wanted to say that involvement is, uh, is not a duty. It's not a job. You have to see it as a ministry. And when you see what you're doing as ministry, then you're going to get a real good view of the, of the whole scope of what's happening here. It's easy to come in on Sunday and see bits and pieces, or maybe through the week you're involved in something, and you see a little bit of this happening, a little bit of that. You hear about something else, but you're not really sure what goes on. But when you get really involved in the church, you're involved in ministry. And that doesn't matter what you're doing. doesn't matter where you're called. Um, it's easy to sit and be served, but we want you to stand, go forward, and serve with us. And just a couple things on the introductory part, which is excellent. I just wanted to add, uh, when we look ahead five years, we decided 10 years was too far ahead, 20 years was too far out. We did do some talking uh, about those situations, but we thought five years. And I know personally, in my own life, I mean, uh, Pastor B said we were grounded pastoral leadership team, and I hope in five years I'm not grounded. If, if, if you know what I mean, Gr- ground in the ground. Okay, so um, but that's my number one hope. But Pastor B is a man, and, and I know we keep talking about his experience and so on. Well, his experience in a nutshell is this. He walked into a church with 65 people, and he walked out 44 years later with over 3,000. So it didn't happen overnight. He was in a huge uh, area compared to where we are, and yet we have over 50,000 people in Hancock County to draw from. We haven't even scratched, we haven't even made a dent on the surface, let alone scratched it. And I keep saying that, but I really, really believe that. Uh, so I look to peop- uh, people like that and have over the years, he's been a longtime mentor, uh, as someone to, to listen to and someone to watch. <laughs> and I've done a lot of both. And uh, it's been a blessing, and you can see why. Um, we don't want to focus. Aren't you glad you're in a church that isn't going to focus on the past? Yeah. We're, our eyes are set on the future. We're looking ahead. We're, a, we're going to be a church of vision. And the Bible says where there is no vision, what? People perish. Thank you. Point number two, focus area number two, we're calling assimilation. What do we mean by assimilation? Let me illustrate it. I'm going to illustrate it this way. About uh, 20 years ago, Rick Warren, how many have ever heard of Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life? Ever heard of that? Rick Warren is sort of the pastor at uh, Saddleback Church. He released his first book in 1995, I think it was, um, called Purpose Driven Church. And in Purpose Driven Church, he introduced a diagram, which in church leadership circles, even today, 20 years later, we just call the concentric circles. And if you're talking to a pastor and pastors are talking to each other, we, you say concentric circles, we know we, we have this image. And we, we all seem to know what we're referring to. So we've decided it's time to go back to that uh, and work on some processes. So let me show you the concentric circles. This is a bird's eye view of the church, and uh, it's not really easy to see from everywhere in the room. This is kind of uh, how it works. Let me explain a little bit. On the outside of the circle, we have community. These are the people we're trying to reach, okay? These are our friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, people we do business with, people we go to school with. These are people who don't yet attend church any church, okay? These are people who don't yet attend any church. They may know about us. They may have friends that attend, but they're not connected in any way to what we're doing. 
The next circle in is the crowd. The crowd represents people who only come a few times a year. They come to special events or they just randomly show up. They're definitely here Christmas and Easter. And then if you, know, you do a special thing, they might be here. And then out of the blue, boom, there they are. But still, even though they're thinly connected to our church, they consider our church their church. Okay, That's the crowd. Next one in is congregation. These are people that attend more regularly. This is where a lot of you find yourself here. You come two or three times a month. You serve on an entry-level team where there isn't a lot required. There aren't major gaps to fill if you can't be here. Uh, You may even give sporadically, but mostly uh, more frequent consumers of the church than contributors, okay? The next circle is committed. A lot of you are here. These people are very involved. They're actively serving on ministry teams or in personal ministry. They are regular givers. They attend most Sundays. They've moved out of the consumer role into a contributor role, but, more, and, and, but they're more often on a team than leading a team. Okay? Next one in the very center is the core. And this last group is often, I don't even know how to define this, but I just wrote this and just going to let it hang there, the most mature spiritually, are often sacrificial givers. They are certainly players. They're playing key roles. They're leading teams and ministries. They're having influence within the church. They're engaging in conversations with leadership about future and vision. Uh, They're most definitely contributors in every way imaginable. Assimilation is the process of moving people from one circle to the next circle, always moving people toward the center. That doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by default. In our recent years, we have not been nearly intentional enough about this process. So here's what we're going to do. First, we're working on a process to identify new attendees and follow up with guests. So this is why we're trying to update our current contact database first so we can build from there. Then we're going to be able to utilize a new connect card more effectively and create meaningful communication with new attendees. Then beyond, uh, and also we're going to utilize our website for the same purpose. Then beyond identifying new attendees, we're developing a system to track attendance and follow up absentees. Ooh, yeah. You can tell that to people who aren't here today. You can tell them we know they're not here. Where we track every individual in attendance over a period of weeks. Uh, we, we've, we've, done, we've done several attendance studies over the year over the years, where, and we, we started one in September, and we're kind of just still doing it, and where we track every individual in attendance over a period of weeks. It's tedious. It's challenging to do discreetly. Did you, did you even notice that we take an attendance? How many of you, how many of you knew we took an attendance? Because I've told you that, right. It requires at least one or two people who know everyone in the room. We've talked to several other churches about how they do this. We talked to Pastor B about how they did it, and they got to 800, and then they got to 1,200, and they got to 1,500. They would take snapshots from behind their, uh, their yeah, they would take snapshots of the congregation from behind their wing walls and set up grids, and then their, I'm guessing their interns, would sit there for hours and try to identify every person in the room. Then they moved to video where they could scan the room in slow motion and, and high def could... And I don't know how they do it now, but that's not going to work for us. But the, the bottom line is we've talked to several other churches about how to do it, and the churches that actually do it have developed their own processes. And we've discovered a method that we're using that works for us, and we can improve it, and we're going to work on that. So if you get to a place where you can identify every face in the room and which, which kid goes with which adult or which grandparent, work on that. When you feel you're pretty confident there, come talk to us. We'd love to involve you in this conducting attendance. That would be great. We would love that. 
But then after we've taken an attendance, and we're not talking about numbers, we're talking about names, accounting for each individual in the building on a Sunday morning. After we have that information, we watch for patterns because we patterns say something. And we want to follow up with people who've missed for a few weeks. And we, 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 we've never figured out how to close the back door of a church. And so we're just, we're just determined that we're going to figure it out and uh, to do it in a way that isn't totally annoying. Uh, but that's going to be a challenge. I think the biggest challenge, the definitely those two things are easy to do, it's processes. The biggest challenge in improving our assimilation track is actually developing that track. That, and I think it's, it's, it's about creating connecting environments between each circle to help people move from one circle into the next circle. So here are some ideas that we're working on. Just, some of them are just ideas. Some of them are ready to implement, but we just started to have these conversations. Um, if you can give me the circles again, uh, guys, that'd be great. So to move, here's a, just, haven't fleshed this out, just throwing it out there. To move from community to crowd, we believe the most effective process is what we call invest and invite strategy. It's not original, uh, but it's good, so we're using it. An invest and invite strategy. Um, it's the idea of intentionally investing in the life of someone outside the church, maybe, hopefully, maybe someone far from God, with the purpose of eventually inviting them into the right church environment with the expectation that they can meet with some Christians, they can meet some Christians, they can experience God in the church environment, they can have some spiritual and relational needs met, and maybe, maybe become a follower of Jesus. And I'm going to talk about this whole idea of invest and invite here on a Sunday morning in just a few weeks. So for now, that's all I'm going to say about that. To move from crowd to congregation, how do you do that? First of all, I would just say keep coming. Just keep coming. If you, can, if you see yourself in the crowd, just keep coming. Keep attending. Be here as much as possible. Find some opportunities to serve. Make some relational connections. Get into a connecting environment, some sort of a, group, a small group of people, and, and get connected relationally. You'll find yourself moving from crowd to congregation. To move from congregation to committed, I would say stay engaged enough to understand and embrace our mission, to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and get involved in ministry teams Listen, that require something of you. That's a kicker right there. If you want to move from congregation to committed, to get involved with something that requires something of you. Then to move from committed to core, move into leadership on the teams where you serve. Offer to lead. Offer to take more responsibility. It's pretty motivating, isn't it? More responsibility, yay! And help lead in some of those environments. For those of you who are in the core, or once you're there, you haven't arrived. Just want to make that clear. None of us have. Okay, it's on us to take personal responsibility for our spiritual growth, to grow deeper as people, to grow more effective as leaders, to expand our influences, to cultivate our relationships. So this is another talk, topic we're going to come back and revisit in a few weeks. This is just kind of a teaser, to, and we're going to flesh this out a little more and help you identify maybe where you are in the circles and the steps you need to take. But we think this is a really useful tool in helping us be more effective in the assimilation process. And our goal is to develop and offer a really clear assimilation track by the end of this year, by fall of 2015. Anything to add, Dad, on that one? Okay. Let's talk about focus area number three, celebration. Pastor Buckingham really encouraged us, his words were, every week celebrate something. So we're working on a definition. What do we mean by celebrate? What's that look like? Uh, how can we more effectively, I think part of it is it's about telling a story. So how can we more effectively tell stories about the good things that are happening in, the, in our church family? We think one piece of that is video storytelling. And here's why I think that's a big deal. 
Because in my experience, to bring someone to the stage, even in front of 120, 150 people, and have a conversation on a microphone, all the things that you heard about sitting over coffee are like so far from that person's mind at that moment. It just, it, it, you know, it's painful and it's awkward. And I've put some of you in that position. And I really apologize for that. But um, see, some of us are just so egocentric that we think people want to hear what we have to say. So we're totally fine with it. And other people have a more accurate grasp on reality and are not comfortable in that environment. So we feel like video storytelling. How many of you uh, saw the video that we did with Rick Parker a few weeks ago where he told some of his story about his spiritual journey? Uh, that to me, that had so, it was so powerful. We created two versions of it, the church version and the online version. And it's gotten, he got to share that with his family and friends. And, it's, and then it's out there. It's out there for the world to see. And the reach is so much further. We tell a story on a microphone on the stage and we talk about what God's doing in your life. If you weren't here that week, you miss it. So we're giving you permission to miss church occasionally and check out the videos online. So um, delete that part. So we're going to start... We're going to start shooting some videos uh, in just a few weeks. The studio's coming together. We've been, remember last year, Toolbox 2.0? That was the, this is the la- one of the last components. There are two more steps to finish the toolbox. We're putting together our video studio in the green room. A lot of trial and error with that, I know. But we're convinced that if we can learn to tell stories in a concise, thought-out way through video primarily and then incorporate those stories into our services and into our website and our social media, that we can be much more effective and our, our reach will broaden uh, in our sharing of the good news of lives transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we're trying to do. That's the purpose, to celebrate changed lives. That's the purpose of celebration. So we've set fall of this year as our target to have fine-tuned the video creation process. All right, so we're, the reason this is challenging for us is because our budget is too small to really make this happen, so we have to get really creative. So we're going to work this out and make this happen and incorporate that into our Sunday experience by the end of this year. Dad, anything on this point? All right, focus area number four is outreach emphasis. Outreach emphasis. In order for our evangelistic efforts to have results, and by evangelistic efforts, I'm going to try not to use church words, but by evangelistic efforts, I mean our attempts to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the intention of leading our family, friends, coworkers, neighbors into a growing relationship with Jesus. So that's what we mean by evangelism, evangelistic efforts and evangelism. So in order for our evangelistic efforts to have results, we need to have an understanding, those of us in leadership and, and everybody else, we need to have an understanding between the two of us, okay? On at least two points. First of all, oh, let's see, you got quiet for that. That's just for effect. It's not the responsibility of the pastors to do all the evangelizing. It's not solely on us to do all the sharing of the good news. It's not solely on us to preach sermons and lead public prayers where someone can pray a prayer and accept Christ as their Savior. It's not only our responsibility, it's your responsibility too. I know, right? It's not a calling for a select few. When Jesus presented what we call the Great Commission, which he never called it that, years ago I heard it called the Everyday Commission, and I've referred to it like that for years. It is an everyday commission for every follower. It was meant for all of his followers. It's on all of us to make disciples. Here's what Jesus said to all of his followers. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he says, he says and I'm going to be with you in that process. So now go do it. 
I can't wait to talk with you about invest and invite in a few weeks because this is a shared responsibility. So having said that, having said that, what your responsibility is, we have a responsibility. As leaders in this church, we have a responsibility to you. If we're going to encourage uh, and equip and challenge you to invest in the lives of those outside the church with the idea that you will very intentionally invite them to a particular environment at church, and, and let's say this is the environment that most people will visit first, then it is our responsibility to make sure this environment provides opportunities for your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors to take their next steps towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our responsibility. Sometimes that means an overtly focused message on the good news of Jesus Christ and what that means for your lost friend. Sometimes it means including a prayer to accept Christ in just about any sermon on any topic that we do here. We can make that fit. And not every sermon, but so it's not totally predictable, but any sermon. Always it means being sensitive to our language, to our tone, to our tendency towards an insider focus, to see and hear and experience our Sunday morning through the senses of that person who you've been investing, 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 and you invited them and they finally come. We don't want to mess that up for you. So that's our responsibility. So we're going to be a little more intentional about scheduling those clear evangelistic emphasis. Dad and I rarely coordinate these things. We probably, we think we probably should plan these things a little bit more intentionally, um, but we have to plan conversations with one another, let alone the planning part. So I already know that in a few weeks, I'm going to be teaching a primarily outsider-focused evangelistic message. I already know that. I'm already working on it. Here's my dilemma with that. Here's my dilemma. If I tell you ahead of time, that one of us is presenting a clear evangelistic gospel presentation on any given Sunday. For those of you who are already believers, would you come that Sunday anyway? Okay? Our purpose in announcing in advance would be so that you know, for you to know that this particular Sunday would be a golden opportunity to bring that friend that you've been investing in for a while. This is the right time, the right environment to invite them to. Not so that you get a week off church because you're already in. You know what I mean? Well, I prayed the prayer in 1972. I mean, I don't need to go. This is our attempt to partner with you in the process of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to work on that. We're going to be as intentional as we, more intentional than we've ever been. So as long as we have this understanding that when we announce in advance that we will be presenting a clear gospel message with an opportunity to respond on such and such a Sunday, as long as you'll do your part in bringing your lost, unbelieving, far from God outsider friends, then that's what we're going to do. Okay? I think this, this is kind of exciting to me. And be ready, because some Sunday soon, probably early March, I don't know the date for sure, we're going to be doing just that, and we'll let you know for sure. One of the things that we've wrestled with over the years for a long time, and even before this church, is how do you get people to respond to a gospel presentation? Some of us in this room grew up in a tradition where when an opportunity was provided for the listener to make any kind of decision for Christ or a spiritual decision or to respond to what was preached or whatever, uh, they were encouraged to respond by coming to the front of the church that usually looked nothing like this, but at the end of the message, usually while the organ was playing, and to maybe speak with a pastor or to just kneel at the front. In some churches and church cultures, you'd fill out a decision card, and that would get thrown into a database somewhere, and someone follows up with you, and they give you a book or something. But, man, for years, I have been, I've been intentional about making myself available here after I teach on a Sunday. Dad is always accessible right at the door. It doesn't mean a great environment for personal extended conversations, but at least you could say, hey, I'd love to talk with you sometimes this week about this morning. Um, that's all we know to do. 
so in a few weeks, we're going we're to try a couple different things. We're, we're, we've designed this new Connect card, which we're, is going to replace those generic contact cards that are there now. And on the Connect card, there'll be options there for the listener to respond. Maybe they're coming to Christ for the first time. Maybe they want to be baptized. Maybe they want some information. Maybe they've got some questions. And we're going to start using those very intentionally uh, every Sunday as a tool to help us connect with, the, with decisions that the listeners may give us an opportunity to follow up. So that's, uh, that's just going to be an ex- uh, some experimenting and trial and error on that. So anything to add on that one? Let's move on then. We're, it's definitely a work in progress. And I'm not even sure if we got to that point with the elders. Uh, so they're, yeah, we really haven't put the meat on the bones on these last three or four points. Um, we're just going to take a couple minutes on the rest of these points because uh, it's just the flyover. Part of it, too, is our timeline. We feel like those first three items... Where those focus areas, we're there by the end of this calendar year. The number four is going to take us who knows how long, and then five, six, and seven is probably 2016, and maybe even further down the road. So um, it's not critical that we have it all figured out, but let's just share them. Focus area number five is care ministry. By care ministry, we mean those areas of pastoral care, things like hospital visits, things like providing meals for people who are sick or recovering for something, uh, helping the elderly in our church with household and seasonal projects and, and their property, or serving our single parent, or mentoring at-risk kids and teens. There are some really good things like that that happen in our ministry in this church. Just nobody knows about it. And if it weren't for social media, I'd never know about it. But I know that a couple guys in this church, Kevin and Punky, coordinated an effort to get Michelle Bailey some firewood and to get it inside or whatever somehow took care of her. So I didn't even know anything about that, and you didn't get my permission, so you're in trouble. But uh, no, they just, they just do it on their own. Some, some people just do things, on, and a lot of you are like that, and you just do it. And that's amazing. It's amazing. But we need to do more And in order to do more, we need to get organized. So in the near future, you're going to be invited to be a part of a conversation. If this is something where your passion lies, you're going to be invited to be part of a conversation where we will begin to develop a strategy for organized intentional care ministry. We are going to need a steering team. We're going to need a team leader. We're going to need a budget. We're going to need a process. Here's why it's important. Here's your scripture for today, by the way. James, I know you're waiting for it, but James chapter 127 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, okay, or the otherwise disadvantaged. In Galatians 5.13, in speaking to the church, Paul said, my brothers and sisters, you are called to serve one another humbly in love. I think it's cool to serve able-bodied people and just just do it, you know, just because you can. And uh, you're like, well, somebody serve me. Here's an idea. You serve somebody else and watch it come back to you. How far-reaching do you think it would be if we became known at, in our community as a church that cared for one another, looks after single parents, helps the elderly, and just serves people? How cool would that be? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? So we've got to get really intentional about that. Focus area number six. Is, we're just calling it a stewardship plan. Steward, when, in church, when we talk about money, but we don't want to say money, we use the word Stewardship. Okay, so one of the greatest insights that Pastor B gave us uh, in November is that there there are certain characteristics that are true of of churches, depending on their size. In other words, if you're a church of a hundred, there are certain things that are true of you. If you're a church of two hundred and fifty, there are other things that are true of you. If you're a church of a thousand, certain things are true of you, and so on. 
And uh, someone that he had uh, knew had, had developed this whole breakdown of what typically is true of churches in different size groups. So churches in a certain size range function in a certain way typically. Well, he suggested that as we look to the future, it would serve us well to begin now to function as a church one or two categories bigger than we are present in the present, to develop the best practices of churches that are a little bit bigger than us and to develop them right now. One of the areas where this really applies for us is in the area of finances. Since day one, we have had an extremely simple financial operation. So moving forward, we're going to complicate it. No, no, we're going to try to just function at the next level up. We want to form a stewardship team. This is a small group of people who have eyes on the finances, people who rotate, so it's not always the same eyes, um, who can give clarity, who this is for a purpose of accountability and planning. We want to identify with that team, identify annual financial priorities. That team working with the elders, identify annual financial priorities, and, and then develop a, a workable budget that is not a millstone around our necks that's flexible, okay? Our goal is to have that in place by next year this time, by the end of winter 2016, because we think it's going to take this calendar year to see, assess the trends on purpose, okay? Uh, we can go back and look at our books, but it's, I think it's more effective if we're actually living it and kind of building this, bless you, this file as we go. So and then identify some goals and develop a plan. So more intentionality. Focus area number seven, this is the last one. Number 70 is to set measurable goals. (laughs) Since day one at Faith Community, we've never known what to count. For that matter, do numbers even matter in a church? Oh, when you read the story of the first century church, numbers mattered. All through the book of Acts, it's numbers, numbers, numbers. They tell you the numbers. Numbers are a big part of the story. It's why we sat back and like, wow, really? In fact, there is even a whole book of the Bible devoted to numbers, and it's called Numbers. <laughs> I know, right? But for us, the question has been, what do you count? Do you count Sunday attendance? Were you ever in, one of, in a church, maybe a little bit different from ours, maybe they had hard wooden things you sat on, and at the front, on one side of the thing or the other, they have this board with interchangeable numbers, and it has attendance last Sunday, attendance a year ago, and attendance today, and sometimes we even have the offering today, offering a year ago, you know, and, uh, and the big moment in the service, usually between Sunday school and, ch- and church, when the Sunday school superintendent comes up and puts in today's Sunday school attendance and moves and changes last Sunday's, oh my gosh. So that's fine, that's fine. They like to count those things, that's fine. But we just never know what to count. And if we count them, so what? What, what do we do with those numbers? So do you count su- Sunday attendance? Do you count number of small groups? Do you count number of people in small groups? Do you count number of people who are serving on a team, their names in print somewhere on a schedule? It seems that either you count what's important to you or what you count becomes important to you, one or the other. We've always counted the offering. The bank prefers it that way. Early on, we just took it in a plastic bag and said, here's some money. And they're like, can you count that, please? And would you like to open an account? So uh, we, none of that actually happened. But uh, we, we have always counted the offering because it seems to be something we should do as responsible people. So does that mean, but because, okay, we count money, nothing else. Does that mean money is the most important thing to us? No. So anyway, 
we're, we decided to start counting some things to see what we might learn and help us set some measurable goals. I'm a very goal-oriented person. It's just uh, it's determining w- what we can measure in the church as a challenge. So we're going to... It might include things like baptisms. It might include things like Sunday attendance. It might both maybe a breakdown of adults and kids or maybe a percentage of annual growth, or maybe number of new ministry leaders who are in uh, some kind of a leadership development process. Um, I don't know where we're going to go with that, but we're going to identify some areas that we want to measure and set some goals. You good? Last January, I taught a series on prayer based... Um, on mostly what we know as the Lord's Prayer, where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. When you pray, pray something like this. He said, when you pray, one of the points he said is acknowledge your dependence. In Matthew 6, verse 11, Jesus said, when you pray, acknowledge your dependence. Say something like, give us today our daily bread. Now, this brought back imagery from way, way back for Jesus' disciples and for anyone else who was listening to this conversation. Give us today our daily bread. Uh, Brought back pictures of Jewish people crawling out of their tents in the wilderness long before Jesus showed up on the scene, you know. And and, and there on the ground, they would look out every morning, and there on the ground were little bits of something that looked like something that might be edible, maybe. So they did what any of us would do, and they ate it. Never seen that before. Wonder what that tastes like, you know. And God gave them this manna from heaven every day. And every day they learned that God would provide all the food they needed for that day. God's point in giving the Israelites manna from heaven out in the wilderness, and he said this through the prophets, was to say, look, the day is coming when you're not going to have to get your bread one day at a time. The day is coming that you're going to have so much bread that other nations are going to come and buy bread from you. But he says, I don't want you to forget. Here's the warning. I don't want you to forget when you have a little and when you have a lot that it's all from me, that you are as dependent on me for provision when you have everything as you are when you have nothing. So we acknowledge today that as a church, as your pastors, as elders in this church, as leaders in this church, as a congregation, as an ecclesia, we are utterly and completely dependent on God. We don't want you to think that we got a master plan and we're going to make it happen. In the Old Testament, when God called Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls that had been in ruin for years and years, Nehemiah developed a plan. We see the value of plans all through Scripture. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon. There's value in a plan. But we know that this is just a man-made plan. We've asked God for wisdom in the process, but it's still just a guide, just a roadmap for the next couple years. If we need to take a side trip here or there, that's fine with us. We understand that. We just want to acknowledge that we are completely dependent on God and our end goal and all of our plans and all of our efforts is to bring glory to God. This verse, and I'm done, the psalmist said this in Psalm 127. He said, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Amen. Let's do this. We've been singing this, kind of listening to this song and humming this song and kind of clapping along with this song and even maybe singing this song at the end of every message so far in this series. And so I think today we're going to I'm going to ask you to stand, sing along as if Ren Collective is our worship team today, and uh, Mark's going to crank up the volume, we're going to sing Build Your Kingdom here, and we're going to sing it like uh, the cry of our hearts. You good with that? All right, let's do it.
give me my mic on that. All right, I think I know why, and I'm not going to fix it right now. Um, so the band come to the stage, and uh, we, we, did I mention to you that we tore down every piece of electrical stuff in this building, and it all got thrown over there the other night? Did you wonder where everything went? It all went over there. So uh, anyway, um, and there's bound to be, I know what it is, it's one little eighth-inch plug that's probably not quite where we want it to be up there. Um, so we're just going to sing that some other time. I'll talk about it. I'll put it on the church Facebook page today, and you go home and listen to it and sing it yourself. Or go, better yet, go online, buy the song, and sing um, so there you go. Play at a halftime. What is there a game on today? Yay! Go football. 